Lead and water, two words none of us like to hear together, but it's a concern one Western North Carolina community is facing. I'm your host of The Kicker by Carolina Public Press, Stephanie Carson. On this week's Kicker, we take a deeper look at a story we've been following for a few months now, the subject of a shooting range in Brevard operated by the police department. Our reporting started after we got a press release about a federal indictment filed in September in Asheville. U.S. District Court, naming Brevard Public Works Director David Lutz in the mishandling of lead-laden soil from the city's abandoned police department firing range. This isn't the first time our reporting team has investigated the environmental impact of shooting ranges. We've covered a proposal for a shooting range near Lake James and a ban on shooting ranges in the Croatan Forest. Joining us on today's show, Dan DeWitt, a reporter who first brought us this story out of Brevard, and Gray Jernigan, Southern Regional Director and Green River Keeper for Mountain True. Dan, talk to me about where this whole thing started. It started with a uh, press release from the uh, U.S. Federal Court in Asheville uh, saying that a Brevard, uh, Brevard uh, public official had been indicted on federal charges for uh, mishandling uh, hazardous waste. Uh, so uh, the local paper reported something, but it almost asked more questions than it answered. So um, the editors at uh, Carolina Public Press contacted me about looking into it uh, more closely. And so what did you find when you looked into it? Because so often these press releases, you know, they're they're kind of hard to muddle through and understand what's happening. But what sounded the alarm for you and, and I suppose our managing editor, Frank Taylor? Two, two key words, I think. I think lead and uh, and water sources. Uh, in the in the case of the original subject uh, site, it was the French Broad River, which, of course, is upstream from Asheville. Uh, and I believe provides uh, drinking water for a lot of communities downstream. And the the the, the lead site that was the, the shooting range that was initially targeted was right on the banks of that at a water at a city water treatment plant. So uh, when you think of lead and water, you think of um, you think of situations like Flint, Michigan, um, and it's it's such a well-known and such a rightly feared neurotoxin because its its effects, especially on children, are just devastating. So that really warranted uh, a closer look, I think. And so the thought is that um, that there, you know, the soil was not properly disposed of from the firing range, and now it's in the water. You know, is it your understanding that? that that source has stopped, that there's no more soil being put in? Um, not not to minimize the concern over what has already been done, but but what is your understanding of, of the, the breadth of this? The fact is that they did remove the, the worst of the soil. Um, and two thing, one thing that really jumped out at me when um, you know, I very first started looking at this, you, you got the press release, which didn't mention the amount of soil or the level of toxicity. Um, and then uh, I requested uh, the indictment and um, the, the, the level was really alarmingly high, um, about 25 times the um, EPA standard for hazardous waste. And it also said in the indictment that it was 20 truckloads of material. So a large amount of material. And it has been removed to the site, but um, we also found out that it went to the county landfill, 
um, which is not which is not permitted to accept this. So I won't say it's a ticking time bomb, but it's definitely a potential hazard there too. When you think about lead, I mean, drinking water is the first thing that comes to mind, and that's certainly concerning. But those of us familiar with Western North Carolina and our recreation here and our industries. Our water is everything to us. Um, and, you know, myself and my family float that French Broad River all the time. So, you know, are there larger concerns perhaps that are, are going to be fleshed out as, as we understand more deeply what's happened? Well, I'm trying to pursue that. Um, and so um, we'll find out. I know there are a, there is another shooting range in Asheville that's close to the French Broad River. You know, and then the folks should say the focus is exclusively on the French Broad because the other thing that, that um, I stumbled on when I right at the beginning of the reporting process is that there are two abandoned ranges in Brevard, and one of them was is right on the site of the water treatment plant um, in Kathy's Creek, which is a beautiful, um, seemingly pristine creek that flows out of Pisgah National Forest, um, and it's the sole, sole source of Brevard's drinking water. So for uh, more than 20 years, the, 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 the city's law enforcement range pumping lead into a berm just a, couple, a few dozen feet from where their, where their, um, their water source was for the drinking water. And give us some perspective, and perhaps it's just my ignorance of, of this uh, topic, but how, how common are shooting ranges for law enforcement departments? I, I guess I didn't think of that as being a need. Is that, is that kind of across the board, or is it unique to Brevard? I think they're very common, um, and I have not been able to get a comprehensive state estimate of shooting ranges. Um, the EPA says that there are about uh, 16 to 18,000 indoor ranges in the country and about 9,000 outdoor ranges. And these are both outdoor ranges. And, you know, you and I were speaking before we began the show, but, you know, this has kind of come under the radar, right? And I'm, I know that there are some water quality um, advocacy groups that will care or, or do care about what's happening, but I guess they're trying to catch up with all this information? Because of some court rulings, the um, the EPA does not consider these sites whether in use hazardous waste sites. They do not regularly inspect them. Um, so they they there is does seem to be a real regulatory um, gap when it comes to shooting ranges. And that's why we don't have a, an accurate and comprehensive uh, inventory of the number of ranges. So how many of these are active? How many of them are close to um, close to water sources, vital water sources? We just don't know. Well, I know that you're on the case to find out. We really appreciate your time. I appreciate your interest, and I'm really happy to do this podcast. I'm joined now by Gray Jernigan. Gray is the Southern Regional Director and Green River Keeper at Mountain True. Gray, thanks so much for making time for us. Well, thanks for having me. You know, as a river keeper, you're constantly monitoring the evolution and what's happening with our waterways. Um, what are some of your concerns uncovered by our reporting with this shooting range? Definitely problematic. I think um, we're, we're concerned about shooting ranges uh, near waterways across the region. Um, 
Recently on the Green River, uh, we had a proposed shooting range uh, where the uh, Henderson County Sheriff uh, was planning to build a law enforcement training center uh, immediately adjacent to the Green River game lands and Green River, um, and we were able to mobilize the community and successfully advocate against that. Uh, but the the issues are are profound and robust and and um, everything from lead contamination to noise and traffic and um, all the things that uh, make make these shooting ranges uh, just not a really good fit. You know, this shooting range has been in existence, and I think you know a lot of people have the concern of, well, you know, what what how much could this be? How much could these bullets laying on the ground? What could that really do? You know, but give us an appreciation for what they're capable of over time. One of the real problems is we just don't know um, in terms of how much lead uh, can accumulate out there. Um, because there's really a lack of oversight and permitting for sites like this. But the potential problems are, are very concerning. The, the impacts of uh, lead and the health impacts on humans is, is well documented. And if, if uh, lead can leach out um, into a, a place where humans can be exposed to it, that can be a real problem. Um, so what what we know is that lead shot going down range, um, either if it lands intact or fragments or the particulates that comes out the barrel of the gun, uh, they all uh, degrade in different ways um, and transport through the environment in different ways based on the site. And it depends on a lot of things. It depends on soil characteristics, rainfall, um, the solubility of the, the type of lead, um, the pH, um, of the soil, um, and so it really creates a lot of unknowns. And and so what we're really concerned about is exposure pathways and whether that can um, that lead can leach into groundwater where it might pollute groundwater drinking wells, um, and that those are especially prevalent in rural rural areas. Um, other concerns are uh, stormwater transport uh, of lead into surface waters um, where it could be taken up by um, the aquatic life and the fish and eventually bioaccumulate um, and then creates an exposure pathway when a human eats, eats the fish in that river. And then there's direct exposure as well um, where lead could leach into surface waters and, and a river user um, there's somebody fishing or boating or swimming in the water um, has a direct contact with, with that. So uh, all, all three of those, drink, drinking water, bioaccumulation, and direct contact are, are all a concern for human health. And as you mentioned, you all successfully stopped a shooting range from developing. But, but, you know, in the instance of Brevard, where there's been one in existence, you know, what should people do? You know, what, what, what would be the proper processes um, to mitigate this risk? Um, well, for outdoor shooting ranges, especially in this area where it's one of the wettest areas of the country, um, managing stormwater appropriately is a large risk, risk um, or, or a, a large area to, to mitigate um, to prevent runoff into surface waters. Um, there's also other uh, mitigation steps uh, such as lining um, the, the soil with an impermeable liner to protect groundwater. And then um, uh, proper monitoring, and, and um, I think the, the issue in Brevard was the, uh, the removal of the lead and the way that it was transported and, and ultimately disposed of um, has to be done in a very careful way uh, because it's a, it's a very toxic material. Um, 
And if it's released into the environment, again, it has the risk of having impacts on human health. So um, it, it really takes careful management and it should, it, there should be more oversight and permitting um, by uh, government agencies like the EPA and the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality um, that, are, that, that are tasked with um, oversight of toxic pollutants in our environment. These days, we can't mention lead without saying Flint, Michigan. Um, you know, are we are we looking at the potential of something of that magnitude or, or is this somewhere, you know, at, at a different place on that scale? It's hard to make a comparison between those just just very different issues in terms of uh, Flint. Flint was more of an issue of the uh, actual drinking water delivery system, and this is a potential contamination source. Um, so it's hard to compare the two, but the, the end effect is the same. We know that lead has harmful health impacts on humans, and um, eliminating the risk of exposure is, is really the key. And, and in order to do that, we really do need to know um, where these sites are operating, how much lead is being deposited, and and how the um, effects of lead moving moving through the environment are going to be mitigated. And you touched on some of this, but you know, water quality is everything. It's a precious resource in our region. It's it's drinking water, it's recreation. You know, I think of the number of times I've floated the river. Um, and then perhaps thought twice about it, you know, when you hear about stuff like this, um, and even right down to our craft beer industry, you know, relying on the water quality that we have in the Western North Carolina region. Absolutely. I mean, water forms the backbone of our economy here in Western North Carolina, whether it's recreation or craft beer or otherwise. Um, and first and foremost is a human health issue, but, um, you know, you see the economic impacts when you see pollution concerns like those in Flint, Flint, Michigan, um, the economic impact of that area is tremendous. And um, we can't have that here. We really need to get a handle on uh, what the pollutants are and what the risks are in our in our backyard to um, protect um, all the citizens and uh, our economy. This week, we're releasing more stories on this issue. If you'd like to be the first to receive the update, text INSIDER to 919-897-8555. And as always, you can read all of our reporting for free at carolinapublicpress.org. I'm your host, Stephanie Carson. Thanks for joining us.